humans are at a base level uh, convenience junkies. That's the key, usually, to finding answers. Your curiosity usually leads to an obsession, and your obsession becomes your unfair advantage. Where we are today, entrepreneurs are being glorified. Like, what do you get so obsessed with that you can't stop? Today's guest is on a mission that's both inspiring and unconventional to create financially free and free-thinking individuals. She's the visionary founder of a media company called Contrarian Thinking, where the focus is on teaching people how to think critically and achieve financial freedom through what she calls boring businesses. Her journey to this point has been nothing short of remarkable. Her career path started as a journalist at the Mexico border, where she witnessed life-altering events that convinced her that money equates to power, and with power comes the ability to change the world. Today, she values experience over degrees, bets on herself over making money for others, and champions Main Street over Wall Street. Without further ado, please welcome my good friend and guest, Cody Sanchez. Welcome to the show, Cody. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you for coming. I, I've been anxious to get you here. You're Austin and San Diego Travels, but you are somebody who I am so excited to get into all of this stuff with because your background is so unique Excellent. and so on point for so many people. And I mean, your content's incredible. You're an inspiration. So thank you. Oh, geez. Yeah. Thanks. I, I mean, appreciate that. You have like a college degree. I won't get into the fact you went to ASU because, <laughs> you know, U of A, but... We'll, we'll allow that to go, but okay. Georgetown, yeah, yeah, and then the PhD, yeah, and then World of Finance, yeah, and you're on Wall Street for a while. That's right. Doing all the stuff that a lot of people go to college for, and then you had that pivotal switch, mm -hmm. and you launched Contrarian Thinking. But there had to be something pivotal in your pivotal in your background that led that that transformation. Yeah, I think probably a lot of people listening maybe felt the same way, but in 2020. I think the world shifted a little bit. And for me, I felt like we weren't having conversations anymore. We weren't questioning things. I went to college to be a journalist originally. And that's the key usually to finding answers is knowing the right questions. And so in 2020, when I stopped running around doing uh, deals all over the country, I had some free time. And I started uh, having conversations with people about why they thought the world was changing. And I realized that the only way we would have real change would be um, by asking hard questions. And that's what spawned contrarian thinking. So we started a newsletter, like many people in 2020, in a tiny bedroom here in San Diego, actually. It was my husband's first house that he bought when he was on his first deployment. So it's this little bungalow. And in it, I just started, I think my very first email was titled like, what if we started asking the right questions? And from there, it turned into pretty big business. But I think like most things in life, the best things happen by following your curiosity. And your curiosity usually leads to an obsession and your obsession becomes your unfair advantage. And most people ask the question of, well, what should I do with my life? Well, what should I do next? And I think the right question is, what do you do when nobody's looking and no one pays you? Mm -hmm. And if you answer that question by continuing to do the thing, um, eventually you'll find a business in it. And it doesn't, I'm not talking about your passion, because I think that word's played out. I'm talking about, like, what do you get so obsessed with that you can't stop learning about it? But how do you just, so if it's not passion, what it, what's the right word for it? Curiosity. Curiosity. 
Because a passion could be like, I love playing golf. Okay, well, that's great. Or I love gardening. But are you obsessed with it? Like, do you think about it in the dead of night and keep trying to tweak your strategy and become so involved in it that you lose track of time? Um, and do you want to become one of the best in the world at that thing? Not because you think you can make money, but because you have some unique skill that is aligned with this, this thing that sits in front of you that keeps you up in the dead of the night. And, um, and so that for me was always writing and uh, doing deals in some way, shape or form. I'm a little bit of a deal junkie. And, uh, and that's how Contrarian Thinking started, was basically one email sent and now we do 100 million views a month and um, have 500,000 subscribers and it's been pretty cool to watch. I mean, it's fascinating and congratulations. Nice. But I have to unpack a little bit of that because from one email sent to 100 million, yeah. we've all sent an email. Sometimes <laughs> people don't want to receive that email, but how did you start that list? How did you decide, okay, I have this amazing newsletter well, mm -hmm. you, you knew it was going to be amazing, contrarian thinking. Everyone wanted to read it, mm -hmm. but no one knew about it yet. That gap is where I think a lot of people get stuck. Yeah. You know, um, when your friends start having kids or getting married, right, they start sending out invitations to the baby shower or to the wedding. And you got to show up. You got to pay a bunch of money to do stuff. You got to be involved. And I've always thought when somebody launches a new venture or somebody starts a new business, there should be something like that, right? It should be like, mm -hmm. I'm launching this new thing and I'd love you to partake in it in some way, like shape, a, or like form. Like a new business shower. Basically. Maybe we could we should come up with that. A better I name. Think, but I, I love it. So um, so with this new venture, I did exactly that. I said, um, you know, I've had a business baby and I sent out an email to basically anybody I'd ever met ever and all of my friends and said, I'm launching this thing. And I've never once launched a thing to any of you guys over the past however many years I'd been in finance and doing um, corporate jobs. So I said, well, you know, I'm going to announce this and then I'm going to ask people to participate. I'm going to say, I'm not going to put you on the list or anything, but if you think this thesis, which was if we ask the right questions, we will get the right answers. Um, if you believe that to be true, and if you also think that the world is a little chaotic, and if you also think that um, perhaps you don't know where the intersection of money, freedom, and critical thinking lies, then maybe you should come along on this journey with me. Just sign up. And then if you want to if you want to pay for the VIP experience, perhaps you could forward it to a few people. And I said, and if you do, you know, tell me who they are, and I'll respond to them individually. But for me, um, consider this, you know, my baby shower, my wedding shower, whatever. And it's sort of funny because I am married, and my husband and I didn't have a wedding. You know, we didn't have an engagement party. You know, we didn't ask for anything. Um, but what I do ask of the people closest to me is for them to participate in the thing that I am building. Because mm -hmm. I think that's a lot more important um, than getting a, a random present uh, for a an event you're going to have in your personal life it's true and i don't think we do a good enough job as community of friends to support each other when we do these ventures as a serial entrepreneur myself i can't tell you when i start something it might be eight months later and a good friend of mine who's a good friend of mine will say you know i've been meaning to go check it out uh, and i'm thinking me. to myself like you're my good friend if i called you and asked you you'd come but shouldn't you do that anyway and i don't think it's just society we don't have it programmed yet to have that Exactly what you just said, a, a baby shower support group for all these new ventures. No, it's exactly true. I mean, when we first were chatting and we were going to do this podcast, what's one of the first things I did? And I like texted you a picture of it. I'm like, I just mm -hmm. bought a bunch of stuff from Everbowl. You did. And why? We're not even really friends yet. But I was like, one, I want to experience what this gentleman's built that I'm going to do something with. And then two, um, 
I'm going to spend the money somewhere. I'm hungry. Mm -hmm. uh, so why wouldn't I do it with a person that I already know? And um, so I think that can also be a huge difference in your life. We have this mutual friend, Dan Fleshman, who's here and sort of connected us. And he's the master at this, right? He not only connects every single human um, that he thinks is value added to one another, but then he takes it one step further and he signs up for your emails and your, your new business venture and your new products. Um, and so if you want to be in the game with players, uh, then I think you've got you've to be the one to, to pass the ball around, yes. and most people won't do that. And why do you think most people don't do it? Mm. Um, well, I mean, humans are at a base level uh, convenience junkies. I mean, we do the thing that's easiest for us, that's right in front of us, that's most natural. And it takes some extra steps to go and sign up for your friends XYZ when you've already done this other thing for a long amount of time. And then also most people have never felt the pain of entrepreneurship or the pain of ownership. I actually think that we're having an ownership crisis in the US right now, that most of us buy from businesses we've never stepped foot in with owners we will never shake their hand who probably aren't located not only not in our city, but in our state. Yeah. And so we have given away our purchasing power, our dollars that we spend, you know, one out of every three days in your adult life, you'll spend um, working over your entire lifetime. And because of that, uh, we should be really careful where we put our dollars, but we aren't. And if we were thoughtful about it, we'd probably rather give it to a neighbor than give it to, no shame in his game, Jeff Bezos, right? Yeah. Who we're never going to meet. And he probably doesn't need another one to go on his yacht. <laughs> and so um, I think it's really important. And, and the other thing, if I could, you know, if anybody's listening, and you have friends that are entrepreneurs. I have a, a huge belief too that um, I don't give discounts to friends and I never take one. So, you know, I would never go to your business and say, like, hey, Jeff, I'm here. Like, you wanna hook me up with something? Doesn't matter if I need the cash or not. I'm always gonna be the one to pay a little bit more and do the next thing because you're not helping your buddy out by asking for a discount. You're actually being a little bit obnoxious. You're not gonna go ask for Amazon's discount, right? <laughs> it's true. I mean, and my rule with that is if it is your main thing, yeah, I need to pay you. Like I have good buddies. Oh, I'll, I'll take care of this for you. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. That's your main thing. Yeah. If I ask you to help me move, I'm not paying you. Yeah. Because exactly. you're not a moving company. Come <laughs> help me move some boxes. But if I go to your business, that's your main source of income. I agree with you. I don't, I don't want to, I never ask for them to do it for free because a lot of times they'll offer or, you know, I'll give you the, the, the hookup. Unless you give everyone the hookup, in which case I'm just one of the norm. Sure. Yeah. Or it's a not professional course of action for you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty cool to say, no, man, I think what you're doing is incredible. In fact, I want to pay, pay twice. Yeah, I want to pay. I want to pay full price, and uh, and that's also like a little you know dollar put in the piggy bank um, of relationships, which I think are probably the best income generating asset you have. But you know, I agree with you. That's the premise of my book and my thesis in life is relationship capital is oh, everything. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you mentioned entrepreneurship and a lot of people, and I have a belief that where we are today, entrepreneurs are being glorified mm. because of social media, because of the ability to understand the faces and the personalities of the titans that are running all these companies, the greatest men and women in America and around the world and what and how they're doing. And I think it's a good thing, but I also think it's a dangerous thing. And I was mm -hmm. actually having a conversation with Amy in my office yesterday about this exact topic, because when you look at the glorification of entrepreneurship, we're basically saying everyone should be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I don't think everyone should be an entrepreneur because I don't think everyone's meant to be an entrepreneur. I think everyone should be entrepreneurial minded, 
regardless if you work with a team, for a team, or you're the leader of a team, mm -hmm. that's a mindset. Mm -hmm. But the ability to actually go down that path and start your own company, acquire your first company, and be the head honcho, or honchos? Gender neutral? I think you nailed it. All yeah. right, we're yeah. going to go with we're it. We're going to go with it. Um, isn't for everybody. Mm -hmm. Now, being a deal junkie yourself, and obviously contrarian thinking, do you agree with that premise, mm -hmm. or do you have a different perspective? I think the world would be a better place if every human had some skin in the game. Do I think that they need to run the business? Absolutely not. It is, you know, you know how you, you see a president uh, pre getting elected and post getting elected <laughs> and instantly in those four eight year periods, they age 35 years. I think that's the same thing with entrepreneurship. You know, um, it's really hard. It's a hard game. It's worth it uh, if you're willing to do the work, but it's not worth it if you're not because you can go bankrupt. And, um, you know, you can lose a lot of sleep for many, many nights. So I think I agree with you there. Now, where I try to align is in every one of my businesses, wherever it's humanly possible, I like my employees to have skin in the game. Meaning, if you do X and achieve X goal, you will get Y additional compensation. You might get some revenue split. You might get some profit split. You might get um, some equity really depends on the type of business. Not every employee in every company deserves equity. Just not popular opinion, but absolutely true. Um, and you have to earn equity over time because it's like a marriage. Then we're, we're married for the rest of the time this company mm -hmm. exists. But I do think skin in the game is important. So as long as people are striving for a way when they do better for them to earn more, I'm aligned. Because I think the worst thing in the world is what we're seeing in the government right now, which is basically... You know, they have maximum incentive misalignment. So if you run a government entity, you have one goal, really, which is you want to increase the budget of that entity because with budget comes power, comes new hires, and comes usually new committee placements. And so their goal each year is just to spend the most humanly possible. How wild is that? And they have no incentive alignment to earn more, to cut savings, really even to deliver programs. And um, I think a lot of corporations are the same. It's like your main priority is to get more budget because then you have more people. And you're not incentive aligned. You don't have skin in the game. And I want my people to have skin in the game. And I think the 2.0 evolution of that is can you have skin in the game in the downside too? You know, my dad famously <laughs> said uh, when somebody asks him for addition, like a revenue share or a profit share, they go, perfect. So when I lose money, you pay me. And uh, that changes people's perspectives pretty quick. It does. It does. And it's, uh, it's a quote my dad used to always tell me. He said, never take, never put too much stock in anyone's opinion who doesn't have to live with the outcome. Exactly. Exactly. It's the whole, you know, Nicholas Nassim Taleb. Um, he's pretty famous on this idea of skin in the game and instead of alignment. And so if a government employee has no repercussions because of what they do, it's probably not the right person to be in charge. It's true. It's true. And so with contrarian thinking, mm -hmm. what is the, when you started it, did you have it all mapped out? Did you have the entire vision, like where you were, because clearly you had a thesis, yeah. you had an email, you had this idea that people were going to want to come around, come along for the journey and be part mm -hmm. of that. But I don't know that you've had it all visioned out to where you are today and where maybe you're going to be tomorrow. Oh, absolutely not. I had no idea what I was doing. No fucking idea. Um, I thought it was an email. I didn't even know emails were businesses. I knew nothing about internet marketing. I had no idea that people really made money on the internet in this way. I was in finance. I mean, we were in a little hole looking at spreadsheets, doing deals, flying around in suits. 
And then when I started the email newsletter, I really did it because a, an acquaintance of mine, this guy Sam Parr, had started a business called The Hustle. And then we weren't friends. Now we're friends. But uh, I had watched him build this newsletter business. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Maybe I'll start a newsletter. And it was right at the time where tech enablement began, which is usually, I think, when entrepreneurial enterprises take off like crazy. And that was this thing called Substack at the yep. time. And uh, and so Substack, Substack just made it one, two, three click easy to do a newsletter. And because of that, I thought, well, I think I have things to say. So I'm going to start saying them. We'll see if anybody agrees. And it wasn't until probably about a year in that I realized, oh, this is a business. Oh, there's this thing called the attention economy. Oh, my gosh, if I have eyeballs, I could actually convert the eyeballs and direct them to varying things for them to buy. And that might mean revenue and equity back to me in some way, shape or form. But I had no idea, which is why I think the only unfair advantage was I was really curious about it. And I wanted to figure I wanted to, like, take the Rubik's Cube and mess with it continuously. And I found joy in um, the immediate feedback loop that was. I do X activity. I send out a tweet or a LinkedIn post to my audience of zero people, and a few of them somehow sign up, and I could watch this newsletter chart go up. And I think half of that is the game of business. We're just addicted to the video game of business yeah. as opposed to Call of Duty. Yeah, the gamification of it. Which, if that doesn't light your hair on fire, don't be an entrepreneur. Yeah, Because you're going to lose and compete with people who it, it is. Yeah. And that's the scariest part of entrepreneurship is I, I've, I taught a class about this, and I was explaining to them, like, when you think of, like, the NFL, yeah. there's 32 teams. When you think of business, you don't know, even if you're Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos has no idea if some 16-year-old or 80-year-old or 50-year-old is sitting in their garage inventing the Amazon killer. Yeah. And there's no rules to it. There's no it's 32 teams, and no one else is allowed in without billions of dollars. Anyone can participate. And so if someone comes in with that that love and passion and curiosity and dedication to the gam gamification of I'm going to do this thing and play with it until I find it, that just happens. And it disrupts the industry or it disrupts the world or disrupts your company overnight. Yeah. And so you can never take your foot off the gas. No, it's it's so true. You know, another friend of mine, Sean Perry, tells a story about um, Jeff Bezos. I don't know if it's true, um, but uh, he basically says that he um, – he bought uh, this gent's company, and I can't remember which one. So Jeff goes and buys this guy's company. And this guy's like, great, you've spent, I don't know, let's make up the number, $50 million buying my company. He's going to go have business with Jeff Bezos. They sit, or have uh, breakfast with Jeff Bezos. They sit down at breakfast, and Jeff orders like this weird black squid breakfast. And so the guy's like, okay, that's interesting. They sit down, and they start talking. And the guy asks Jeff, uh, so... Um, you know, why'd you buy my business? And it becomes pretty apparent pretty quickly that Jeff has really no idea what his business does. And um, and Jeff finally looks at him and he goes, your business is this pasta, this like black, squidded, weird breakfast pasta. And he goes, I thought I'd try it. And I was like, that's so interesting. Why would Jeff Bezos buy a company to like try it on because it looks so weird? And the reason is exactly what you said, because Jeff knows, hey, some upstart who becomes really obsessed with this individual thing that's slightly different from everything else that we're doing, but could maybe disrupt it because I've never seen anything like this before. Hmm, the risk is 
if I buy it, I spend 50 million, that's like 50 bucks to me. If I don't buy it, he's he's tinkering, he's tinkering, mm-hmm. and he might get close, and then it might be really expensive, so I'm just going to buy it right now. And I think that is what a lot of people don't realize about entre- entrepreneurship, is you have a lot of these big dogs out there who are looking at the marketplace and saying, like, I'm sort of watching what all these people are doing because I know at any point it's like whack-a-mole. They're going to come up, and we're going to start bringing them all in, which is why I get obsessed with acquisition because I think it's the fastest way to growth. It's also the fastest way to kill innovation and competitors. <laughs> it is. And we can look at the greatest example where a company failed to do that when Blockbuster could have bought Netflix for almost nothing. Wild. Yeah. Or, or uh, you remember that story from uh, Alexis Ohanian at, uh, at Reddit, the founder of Reddit, went to Yahoo and Yahoo was going to buy Reddit. And by the end of the meeting, the CEO of Yahoo at the time basically said to them, you know, we brought you in, we looked at this stuff, but you guys are basically a rounding error. And uh, so we're not going to buy. And so Alexis and his co-founder went back to their office, beautiful office like you have, and wrote on the wall, rounding error. And ever since then, they were like, anytime somebody's keeping me down, I'm going to have this chip on my shoulder of rounding error. And lo and behold, Reddit becomes much larger than Yahoo. And now who even uses fucking Yahoo anymore? Yeah, it's, I mean, seriously. I can't remember the last time I went to Yahoo. Oh, yeah. Does it exist anymore? Probably. I bet it's huge, actually, I mean, I know still. they have articles, but <laughs> <clears throat> do they really? If you if you go to yahoo.com, can you please send me a message? Because I need to know if anyone actually goes to Yahoo. Yeah, I, you're right. I don't know that they do. That might just be another dark corner of the internet. <laughs> hey, everybody. Looking for great insights? Entrepreneur.com's podcast network is the place for you. Check out podcasts like Problem Solvers and Smart Passive Income for smart advice. Hear true stories on how success happens, financial updates on dirty money, deep dives with Behind the Review, and food trends on restaurant influencers. And don't miss my new show. It's all at entrepreneur.com forward slash listen. Let's start our success journey today. Hey there, it's your host, Jeff Fenster, and I have something very exciting to share with you today. You know, here on the Jeff Fenster Show, we're all about growth, both personally and professionally. Speaking of growth, have you ever heard of Everbull? As the proud founder of Everbull, I can tell you firsthand that we're on a mission to help everyone unevolve, to live actively and eat stuff that's been around forever. Imagine stepping back into a world where everything you eat is fresh, nourishing, and packed with nutrients. At Everbull, we've got you covered with our wide range of superfood bowls. But it's not just about the food. It's about a community of like-minded individuals who are determined to embrace a vibrant, fulfilling lifestyle. Join us on this journey as we redefine what it means to be healthy and active. So if you're ready to unevolve and be the best version of yourself, head over to everbowl.com and check out our menu. So with contrarian thinking and the big audience, that didn't lead you directly into today, which my favorite thing about you that I learned as I was getting to know you before today is your self-proclamation of, I like to buy boring companies. Mm -hmm. So that's fascinating to me because most people want extravagant, exciting, glitz and glamour. Mm -hmm. And I think I know the answer, but I want to hear it from you. Why specifically boring companies? I don't listen to the narrative and I look at the numbers often. And when you look at the numbers, you see that most of not most, a the largest grouping of the Fortune 100 and 500 um, got there from acquisitions of things that I would classify as boring businesses. It's like, 
you know, the Koch brothers in energy and food production. I mean, you see it obviously across the, the Walmart family with grocery stores. These businesses, because they've been around for a long time, they have a much higher likelihood of continuing to be around. It's called the Lindy effect. There's actually this phenomenon where if something has existed for a period, it's de-risked that it will continue to exist in the future, which is interesting because when I tell people I own laundromats, they go, does anybody even use those anymore, right? And what turns out to be true is that something that has a lot of hype usually is a flame in and a flame out, aka NFTs in their first version form. Huge flame in and then complete flame out. And it's because um, you don't, you're not able to predict the future based on past numbers. And so boring businesses to me, it was all about, it was all about the math. It was like these businesses make a lot of money and yet we don't pay attention to them and we want to start social apps and dating apps, et cetera, because that's what we see on the news glorified. We all are really a product of like, you can't be what you can't see. And so when we see people doing X, Y, Z, we think, oh, that's what I must be doing. And so anyway, I started buying a bunch of these companies. Um, but then the deeper I got into it, the more I realized, oh no, actually, each community has a backbone that it needs in order to survive, right? So if you think about your local community, you need a doctor, you need a dentist, you need um, a roofer, you need an HVAC, you need a builder, you need, right? There's probably like 50 different types of companies that you need in order to, to make a modern community exist, not thrive, but exist. And I thought about the world we're coming into and saw a lot of the things that I think look recessionary and thought, huh, if a recession happens and my toilet's broken, I'm still going to call a plumber. So I want to own that company. Yeah. And maybe it'll be better to sell fancy coffee uh, in the short term. But in the long term, I think that business actually has a harder road to hoe. So that's why I started buying them. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And I like your flame in, flame out. It's the rabbit and hare Rabbit, the rabbit and the tortoise story. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. All the things we always need to know in life we get taught as a kid. We just got to remember it, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean. Slow and steady wins the race. Yeah, and my business is, you know, if you think about it, when have you ever had an experience with what's something that we all touch all the time? When have you had an experience with your um, electrician hooking up your TV, um, setting up your lights in your new apartment, whatever, and you've thought, that was an incredible experience. <laughs> like, I'll remember that guy's name. Like, what a cool email marketing campaign they had. Oh, the text message follow-up was incredible. Oh, they have a affiliate services that they actually push us out to. The branding, exceptional. Like, that doesn't happen in that world. Now, in your world, so for Everbowl, for instance, you have to have incredible branding because it's part of the vibe and you're setting a tone and it's aspirational. For my electric company, it's like who's available fastest and yeah. looks like they have some decent reviews. And so if I'm not a genius, uh, which I don't think I am, uh, but I'm pretty good at executing, <clears throat> then I have such a low floor or, or ceiling, really, that I can, I can be the best. I could be the best customer experience electrician company in my community, and it wouldn't even be that hard. True. Now, there's lots of things that are hard about the business, right? It's hard to hire people. It's hard to understand the business. It takes some cash to start it. All those things are true. But that's why I like boring businesses, because you don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be an innovator to start one. So I'm on the other side. <clears throat> I'm the guy who starts companies. Yeah. I don't acquire many companies. Yeah. So I would think like you, and I'm like, okay, I want to vertically integrate. I want an electrical, electrician company. I'd start one. Yeah. Why acquire over start? 
It's a cheat code. Um, I like to think about it like you can, you can run a relay race, right? And let's say there are 10 legs of the relay race. And I could start from the beginning of the relay race and I could run the whole thing. And, uh, and me and my team could switch back and forth and we could you know, get pretty tired by the fifth, sixth, seventh. Or I could go grab the baton from the fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth person and just run the last couple legs of the race. And so I really like to steal other people's homework, basically. Mm -hmm. So with these businesses, if you understand the game of acquisitions, deal making, and structuring, then you have a foundation on which to build so much faster. I mean, think of all the stuff in the beginning with Everbull that if it's why you guys have a franchise, right? Because franchisees can look at your model and say, Jeff spent, I don't know, $500,000 in losses to learn these lessons. I'm just going to not give him my $500,000 in losses, I'm going to pay him a couple hundred K and I'm going to take all of the lessons that he learned and apply them. And I probably have a higher, a higher likelihood of success. And so it's the same thing, except I don't always love a boss. And so, um, I was nervous about the franchise model because I want to make sure that I can run the business the way I want to run it. Which, <clears throat> which is the hardest part of being a franchisee. Yeah. And one of the things I learned with franchising Everbull, which I was never going to do. And then yeah. COVID. Yeah. But you have entrepreneurs who are buying into your brand. And in the absence of clear SOPs and clear answers, entrepreneurs are going to be entrepreneurs and they're going to solve problems how they see fit. Yep. And so as a franchisor, it's frustrating. And I'm sure as a franchisee, it's frustrating because franchisees say, this doesn't make sense, Jeff. But what they are failing to realize is I have to make decisions for the totality of our stores around the country for uniformity, yeah. not for the market issues in one small community in America. Yeah, well, and half the time you've already seen, you've seen the movie before. You go, so you think, it's actually a superpower. So the fun part is when you do a bunch of deals or when you run a business, you go, okay, tell me about your problem. And they go, well, uh, we can't get customers in the door. And you go, huh, okay. Um, well, do, is your sign out front illuminated because most of your customers come off of the freeway at night because you're located in a trucking zone? Oh, no, wait, it's not. You know, and you just you get to see into the future. It's mm -hmm. this fascinating thing. And so um, it's the same with my team, you know, in multiple different ways. They'll say, well, why don't we do it this way? And I'll go, here's how that's going to play out. Steps one through five. Do you want to do it anyways? Just so you can kind of see how that works. And I can tell you I told you so at the end, or do you want to listen to, <laughs> to the experience that I've already had? And most of the time, people do want to copy your homework. So, sure. and what the other thing that I've realized too is, like you said in the beginning, not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur a hundred percent. Lots of people actually need a handhold, and and like it. They like to have somebody standing alongside them and telling them it's okay and here's the right way to do it. And so for that type of human, a franchise is actually amazing because you have skin in the game, you have ownership, you have equity, and yet. You have somebody who's standing right beside you. And you have the <clears throat> the community, the buying power, the economies of scale, the brand. camaraderie, the brand, it, all of those things. 100%. Versus the competition of starting yourself. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people don't have an idea to start themselves. I am actually not that creative. I had no ideas for starting a business, which is why I bought a bunch of them. I didn't have that thing inside me that I couldn't sleep for the want of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, if I did, I probably would have started that app or that business. But I didn't. And so I thought, well, you know, what I really want is freedom, not this thing to exist in the world. And if that's true, then what's the fastest path to freedom? If I buy a business, then I can close that deal. And on day one, that deal can be profitable to me. That's interesting. 
because uh, all I really want is the money and freedom. I don't actually care about building that thing. And then one day you will find the thing you want to build, and you do that after you've already made some profits, which to me just feels better than sleeping on a couch <laughs> trying to figure it out. So what was the first acquisition, the first company you bought? Well, the very first company I bought was actually a website. It was way back in the day, and I was working at a company then called State Street. And I was working in Latin America um, and uh, for the first time trying to figure out how to sell investment products south of the border. And so I bought this little website, and then I changed the name to Selling South. And it ended up being becoming like a consulting website for uh, cross-border finance transactions. Um, so I bought that business. But then I was doing a nine to five while I was doing that, and my boss did not like that. <laughs> and so I ended up having to sell that business. Um, did you make money on the sale? Yeah, but not much. Uh, it was a long time ago, but you know, probably nothing like the money I was making in finance. But I was like, oh, so you actually can buy this thing. I sort of bought it by accident because uh, I wanted the website. And then I, when I sold it, I was like, oh, this is just like a transaction I would do in finance, but I just did it on this side deal. And that's when my little wheels started turning about, I suppose I could do a bunch of deals like this, just like a private equity firm could, but they don't have to be huge. And if I don't like the business, I just kind of sell it a few months later. So I've now sold quite a few internet companies, some for as you know, low as I think we, we bought one internet business for 3K and sold it for 8K. Like that was a nice little you know, transaction for me back in the day. Five, now, maybe not as material. But you know? 5K is always nice. Yeah, exactly. I'll always take 5K. You could buy a lot of Everbulls with you 5K. Could. You yeah. could. A lot of Everwitches, Everbulls, <laughs> maybe go. a shirt. Yeah, there you go. It'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. So when you buy a business, how, I guess the hardest thing that I struggle with mm -hmm. when I've looked to acquire mm -hmm. is the valuation d d dilemma yeah. where seller wants X. Yeah. I want to buy it for Y. Yeah. And yes, negotiating and discussion, et cetera. But then in my head, I look at cost to acquire versus what it'll cost to start. Yeah. And I always just lean on, I could just start this thing and grow it and scale it pretty quickly. Yeah. And then I talk myself out of acquisition. Yeah. How do you, how do you look at that acquisition component of valuation and say, okay, this is what I'm willing to do and actually getting the deal flow to happen to get them there? Yeah. Well, a couple things. It's going to be really different depending on where people are at. So let's say for the normal human who doesn't have businesses that do tens of millions and hundreds of millions of dollars, most small businesses sell for 2 to 3x their profit, right? So if I make 100k that goes in my pocket, then I might sell that business for 200 to $300,000. You could go up to 500, 600k, but I like to keep my transi transactions pretty reasonably valued. Um, and so typically when I, I talk to a seller, I start with that. Hey, um, I'm Cody. I buy small businesses sort of like yours. Um, the market for the selling of small businesses is usually a two to three X multiple on profit. So I give them that hundred K explanation. Is that something that you might be interested in? Like, you know, would you be interested in potentially selling a small business knowing that the range is typically something like that? And what you're doing is you really have to educate sellers because sellers go, I want a million bucks. You're like, <laughs> you don't make any money. They're like, but seven figures, you know? And so you have to kind of move them to that. And then I have a lot of research that backs it up. So we send them some research reports. They're like, hey, here's what businesses sell for in your sector. This mm -hmm. is just the math. And it's, again, anytime you can go back to numbers and get away from narrative, then conversations become easier because you just go, this is, this is facts. It's harder to argue with. And I try to find sellers who are already predisposed to want what I'm selling. 
which is they want to exit the business. They have some event that they need to exit the business and moving them towards selling for my multiple is reasonable. They're like interested in that. And then I think the more you learn about acquisitions, the more you're like, oh, man, there's all these levers and it becomes fun. You know, so if, if they really want 5X the $100,000 purchase price, I say, okay, well, what are you, what are you willing to do to increase uh, the value to 5X? Then they might say, well, you know, how about if I stay on for sales and for X amount of sales, you give me this percentage of the profits? You're like, okay, that could work. That's reasonable. You know, or how about if I, you know, stay on for two years and do these duties? Okay, that's reasonable. Um, and so those are called milestones or earnouts or transition plan for anybody watching. And so there's lots of ways once you get into deal making to pull levers to change outcomes in a way that you can't do it with real estate. So that's where I'd start. Now, for a guy like you with a bunch of businesses, you would typically want to do what's called accretive M&A, right? So like I own something and I want to buy something that makes my thing that I own more valuable. And... Um, and so your, your acquisitions are probably going to be a little bit more expensive uh, because they probably already have a growth trajectory that looks a little bit like yours. Um, and the entrepreneurs are probably usually younger, which means uh, they're hungrier, they're not tired yet, they're not looking to get out of the business. And so it really depends on what type of acquisition you're doing. Are we doing a, a gray hair acquisition? You know, are we doing a growth acquisition? And that's where you could get into the, the lane where you're like, nah, I could just, I could grow this thing faster. Sure. But after you do a few of these deals, then you get addicted to it. And you're like, oh, yeah, I just pull this thing in. It takes no time. And immediately, like, think about it this way. The average small business underprices their services by anywhere from 30 to 300%. So I think about wow. it like a Costco hot dog. 30 to 300? 300%. Why uh, is that? Mm, they've been around for a long time, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, people don't realize the cost of inflation eating away at their prices. There's n they're not very sophisticated. Uh, you know, very few businesses do quarterly mark-to-markets on uh, what their competitors are charging or even annual mark-to-markets. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times we have something called the 3M strategy where you kind of look at your businesses and you go, huh, so this, these guys are underpriced by 100%. So day one, I think I could increase their price by 100%. We'd probably lose some clients. So let's say we now have 180% uh, more revenue because we lost some clients, but we increased the price. And um, they also have, you know, they're bloated. The company has huge offices or too many trucks or too many people. Wow. They're using actual written invoices that they have to file as opposed to a software. Okay, great. And so once you get under the hood, you're like, huh, they want to sell this business to me for 5X. But day one I take over, I am going to increase the price. So now it's really only like a 3X. And then I'm going to add all these automations and get rid of this boat. So now this company is at like a 1.5X and it becomes a lot more doable. It's cheap. Yeah. But you got to know what you're looking at, which is why understanding the game of business, learning all of this stuff is so valuable. I wish I learned it earlier. Because even if you don't buy a business, you'll never look at business the same. It's like seeing the matrix in front of you. As an entrepreneur, I know how meaningful it is to invest in the people and causes that are close to me. And on GoFundMe, it's easy, safe, and powerful to do just that. Whether you're supporting a family member, friend, local business, or charity. And whenever you make a donation, you're protected by the GoFundMe giving guarantee. Visit GoFundMe.com today to help make a positive difference in your community.
Hey, fitness fans, ready to crush your fitness goals? Make your move to EOS Fitness, where becoming a member starts at just $9.99 a month. Gyms are open 24-7 and packed with the latest gym equipment to keep your workouts fresh. What are you waiting for? Give them a call, drop by, or hit up jefffenster.com forward slash EOS to join. EOS Fitness, better gym, better price. Now, let's get after those goals. Yeah. In that, when you when you are going through that 3M process, and you just said that as companies kind of look at the pricing, and if you raise 100% the cost, and you're going to lose, say, 20%, or 10, in your example, 10% of your customer base, yeah. will you always say, I will lose the customer base and raise 100, or would you just consider raising 80 and try to retain 100, but still uh, accumulate extra? Because that's something we go through regularly of when you're evaluating price increases. Yeah. Every business is different, you know. Um, if I have five clients, I'm really going to try to retain those five <laughs> clients. If I have 5,000 clients, but like most businesses, uh, you know, 20% of them drive the 80% of your revenue, I'm going to pay attention to what those 20% do. And the 80%, I might not care as much mm -hmm. about. And so um, I think, you know, one of my mentors said to me, if you want to get rich, you have to understand the language of money, except most people don't even speak it at a first grade level. And so if you want to build a huge business, you got to understand the language of P&Ls and financials. Otherwise, you're never going to make your first million, nor your 10 or 100 million for sure. And so I think people getting under the hood of a business and almost thinking about yourself as like your job in life, if you want to play this game of entrepreneurship, is to think about yourself as a mechanic. And you're working on a car for most of your uh, existence, your business existence, and you want to be able to figure out what all of it does. You know, how does the carburetor work? What happens, you know, when I turn this knob? What happens when it's hot out? What happens when it's cold out? And you become so obsessed with it until you're like, you hand me this car in any situation and I will know which knobs to turn. Um, and I don't think most people think about business like that. They think about like, what is the one thing that I can do really well and not, can I actually understand how the, how the business works and what the language of it is? Um, and that's, that's the fun of it, is figuring out how to make sure that a car functions at all times. And the, <clears throat> that barrier is great because that also is the opportunity. Yeah, the, totally. the, the people who are willing to invest and learn and take the effort, they're gonna get that prize. Totally, yeah. So. And and the only thing, other, other thing I would say is then you get in really cool rooms. Like you're in these rooms all the time. But people are like, how do you know Drew Brees, right? How, how do you know Shaq? It's like, well, they went really deep into one skill set and they became obsessed with the game of X until they could fix that car of, you know, that was basketball in any way, shape, or form. They were the best mechanic out there at their game of basketball or football. And then when they're done with that, what do they do? They're ready for the next type of car. They're ready for the next adventure. And so then they come to people like you and they're like, all right, so I did this physical thing. Now I'm getting older. I can't do the physical thing anymore. I need somebody to help me figure out this game of business. And that's how you get in the cool rooms is you become an invaluable human. And the more valuable you can be and the more irreplaceable you can be, the cooler rooms you'll get in. 100%. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah. So I have to ask you because obviously the premise of our show is success formula. Mm -hmm. So I have two questions I like to ask our guests. The first is, what is Cody's non-negotiables? Long-term games, long-term people. I stole that one from Naval Ravikant. Every time I've lost money, I've been unhappy, I've taken myself down the wrong path is when I get short-term focused and greedy. And 
or I'm around people who are short-term focused or greedy. So now I really try to think about how can I have a very tight circle with people that want to play for a long time? And the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior, right? It's like, how do you know if somebody will be good in a relationship for you? How are they in the past with other relationships? Were they always saying, oh, it was, it was that chick's problem. She was a psycho. Mm -hmm. Other one, also a psycho. Third one, definitely a psycho. You're like, huh, if everybody's the asshole, what are you? You're actually the asshole. And so um, learning that the people that you surround yourself with is the singular indicator to success, I think, took me a long time. I thought I could do a lot of it myself. And then realizing that um, pros know that longevity is everything. You know, I was telling the story yesterday with Tanner that I sat next to this guy called, his name is Jeffrey Kent, and he owns a company called Abercrombie & Kent on a plane. And uh, he's a billionaire and built one of the biggest travel companies in the world. And um, he's in his 80s now, and he's run the company for 60 years. And I was like, gosh, I can't think of anything, anything I want to do for 60 years. That's a long time. I said, how'd you do it? And, uh, and he basically said, I think one of the keys to wealth might be longevity plus time plus consistency. And you pair just being able to deal with the pain for a long time that is any business with consistency and you win. Um, it's also like our other friend, Andy Frisella, who I know you know too. He's been at the game since like what, 94 <clears throat> or something? So he's been 24 years in the business plus. And, um, and because of that, he's one of the greats. You stay long enough and you just win by attrition as well. Yeah, Because most will quit. Most will quit. And weathering this, I mean, it's the Forrest Gump in the shrimp boat. Yeah, exactly. Right? Just get out there in the middle of the seas and fight the fight. All the shrimp boats are gone, you're left. Yeah, yeah, it's actually Even if you're not true. great at it. Yeah, it's, it's very true. I do think consistency compounds at a rate far above inflation. And so um, most people think about how could I be the best right now? And you see these professional dabblers. I have them as friends. Sure. You know, and, and they're flashy. It, they look fun, actually. A lot of them are influencers. They do what we do and they talk on the internet, too. And they're like, one weekend, crypto. Next weekend, NFTs. Next weekend, Airbnbs. And I have a joke. One of my friends is like this. And I love the guy. But um, he picked stock trading right before the crash. Then he went into Airbnb right before the market pullback. And I just like, I finally called him. I was like, hey, man, just tell me when you're going to get into the next sector because I want to short it. Can you text me as well, <laughs> yeah, please? Exactly. It's just like a forward indicator. <laughs> yeah. You know? He's the metric. Yeah. yeah. The, he's the TA that I need to look at. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think if instead you just stayed in the game, um, then you, first of all, you can see into the future because you've got all these reps. And second of all, uh, everybody that's against you um, has cleared out. They're the shrimp boats. Yeah. So I've got curiosity. Yeah. I got consistency. Mm -hmm. Got longevity. Yeah. And got boring businesses. Is there any other success principles that if you started over and tomorrow you had to go into an industry with zero experience, that you would just lean on these core values, these success principles to ensure Cody is successful? Pain tolerance. Pain, embrace the suck. Yeah. I, I cannot think of an entrepreneur who has had it easy the whole time. Um, or really anyone in life, right? I think it was Buddha who says, you know, um, that, that struggle is life. And so um, over my career, I basically have tried to think about how could I do what Mark T Twain says, which is, you know, if you're going to eat a frog, eat it first thing in the morning. And if you're going to eat two, eat the big one first. And uh, 
And I've tried to think about that a lot with business. Like, what do I not want to do in the morning? Typically, I don't want to get up at 530 and work out, but I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you do that hard thing first, everything else gets a little easier. You've pushed the snowball off the hill and, and the avalanche avalanche begins. Um, so pain tolerance seems to be that. And I love you had Tim Grover here and I met him with Dan and I think his book, Winning and Relentless, the two books, there are two that I come back to again and again to listen to when I'm struggling yep. as an entrepreneur. Um, because I think the truth is that. The truth is not how I got rich in 30 days by doing this thing that took four hours of work. That's just not the truth. It's not. You're not. And fun fact, you're not going to get rich in 30 days following any guru's this is how I do it in six easy steps, and you don't need to know how to do anything, and no no skill required, no pain required, no money required. Let me know how it works. No. It no money's coming your way. No, it doesn't work. Yeah, you know, the other day, too, we were talking with a group of people, and, ah, man, I thought it was interesting. Um, it was a lot of people that wanted to be, you know, people on the Internet. Let's say they wanted to, they wanted to train people on stuff, generally. And one, I think the two most dangerous words in our modern day economy are life coach, because think about that for a second. Think about having the idea that you have life so figured out that I'm going to coach you on it. Like what the fuck? Nobody does. (laughs) First of all, we all die. Second of all, everybody's confused all the time. We're just a bunch of anxious monkeys running around trying to figure it out. And so I think uh, the epitome of ego, you know, an ego is to say that you're a life coach. If you're 24, that's just like adding insult to injury. My husband always says, I wish I had the confidence of a 24 year old life coach. And, uh, and that's not popular in Austin because there's a lot of them. Yes. But I think what you can have is like deep expertise and narrow expertise in one area. And, um, that is really helpful. But anybody who says that they have it figured out, that they have an easy path, that you're not going to need pain, I just, I've never seen it. Maybe it exists, but I've certainly never seen it. It might exist. I just don't think it yields the success people want. Yeah, it's true. Because success is something everyone's chasing and it's running from so many. Yeah. And no one seems, I have found traveling the country, meeting so many aspiring entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, employees, people, everyone wants to find happiness that they're not finding because they're chasing the wrong things. And I don't think they're leaning into the enjoyment and the, the sheer, you know, can't wait to wake up and tackle it, what you said, curiosity, or call it whatever, ver- you know, verb you want um, or adjective. But uh, they're struggling because they can't find that overarching success in whatever they're doing because they either lack consistency, they lack tenacity, they lack the pain threshold they feel that there's these barriers and they're just jumping, 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 jumping. And it's like the little seed you plant in the ground and the sprouts, it sprouts and the roots go first and it hasn't yeah. yet touched the surface. So For you sure. dig it up because you don't see the results. So you move on to the next one <laughs> and you just keep doing that when you realize, man, if you just would have stayed there just a little bit longer. So I'm going to end with this question because I get asked this whenever I use that analogy. How do you know when it is time to move on? Mm-hmm. How do you know when it's like, you know what? I bought this business or I'm doing this thing. And I'm doing the pain threshold and I'm doing all the stuff I should, but I'm not seeing the results yet. Do I, I can stay and keep going, but eventually sometimes it's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. So how does Cody go through that? Well, um, I think you have to be able to really look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, have you given it everything? And 
Have I listened to people who are farther along than I am, who have had more success than I am on the truth of where I'm at? Because typically the people who aren't going to tell you are the people who, one, don't have skin in the game. So they're like, yeah, keep going. One day you'll figure it out. Have you ever bought my thing? Oh, you haven't? I'm not listening to you. And then two, there are people who haven't actually achieved the stuff that you want. I mean, life hack is don't take someone's advice who doesn't have the thing that you want to achieve and hasn't actually done the work yet. And so I think that's first and foremost. Most often we kind of know, like you know if you've put in the work and you know if the idea is good and will continue. You just don't want to look in the mirror and be honest. And, um, and then the other thing, I mean, I was like watching this woman yesterday and you know, she was talking about how she wanted to, she wanted to help people in business. And yet she was saying that she's never sold anything. She's like giving away all this free information and this free advice, but she knows it's so valuable. And she was kind of starting to tear up and I was watching it and I was thinking, man, you aren't ready to give advice yet. You're not ready maybe to run that business that you have. You're not ready to be in charge. And so like, look at yourself a little bit. It doesn't mean you never will, but I think that the way forward in business is that you prove yourself by doing really hard, difficult things for an extended period of time to get the skills needed to succeed. And most people skip the pain and skills needed to succeed. And if you're in a business that isn't working, it's usually because you're not good enough yet at the things you need to be in order to succeed. Because it could be a bad idea, but Amazon was a bad idea to begin with. Like an online bookstore, if that's where Jeff stopped, that would have been a bad idea as yeah. a company. But the problem wasn't the idea. The problem was the entrepreneur or the solution was the entrepreneur. He was he kept skill stacking and he was a great entrepreneur. And so it's probably not your idea. It's probably you. Can you look yourself in the mirror and figure out what skills you don't have, execute on getting the skills, and then the right business will follow. I love that. The daily mirror moment we all need to do. Mm, yeah. It's painful, but it's important. It is, but you want to be successful. That's part of the process. Yeah. Growth is painful. It's called yeah. growing pains. Yeah. And, you know, nobody else is really going to tell you the truth. That's true. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> well, Cody, this was awesome. Thanks I for having me. I think you are such a valuable addition to the entrepreneurial community. I've been following you since I had the privilege to, to get to know you, uh, not personally, but through your content, because I think your content is some of the best on the internet. Thank you. Uh, you speak real. You speak truth. You provide great guidance. You give everyone an opportunity to be successful that maybe is sitting on the sidelines going, I just don't see myself in what I'm seeing out there. You're, you're that, that common feel, that, that piece that makes people say, I can do this. And I think your newsletter is fantastic. And if you're not already a subscriber, stop, pause this right now and go subscribe because you are going to expand your thinking. And as the Mathis twins say, exposure leads to expansion. So mm -hmm. what you don't know, you don't know. So get into the room, hear those conversations. Start having that critical thinking and asking the right questions, which will give you the right answers. So, Cody, thank you. Thanks this is awesome. Me. I'm excited for a friendship with you and Same. to continue to watch you shine and learn from you. And um, anything else you want to say to the audience where they might, where you want them to go and how they can better interact with you and your brand? Oh, I mean, I think contrarianthinking.co is the newsletter. I suppose what I would say to anybody watching, I was thinking about it yesterday, that if I could go back to like 20 year old Cody, I felt a lot of FOMO for not doing the things that everybody else was doing. I, I, you know, I wasn't going out in the evenings, or if I did, you know, I, I was guilty about it the next day. And I, I remember I was going through an old journal of what I wrote. I write uh, every day, 
And so I was going through my old journal from back in the day. And I remember at some point when my career started turning, I wrote, um, you are not boring, you are building. And that realization that it's okay to be boring, to not be doing the exciting things, to not be adventuring, to not be YOLOing for the summer, because you're in build phase. It's just a phase. But if you do that for a while, then like you talked about, at some point, you're gonna have this breakout moment where everybody first kind of laughs at you, everybody second says you're crazy, and then finally they ask you how you did it. So um, if you're listening to this today, don't worry about being boring. Don't worry about being in a boring business. Don't worry about being boring on the weekends because that's what leads to big build, big building. I absolutely love it. Cody, thank you. Thanks for having me. And thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much for listening. If you're looking to level up your relationship capital game, then take a minute and text the word Jeff to 33777 for a free copy of my Network to Millions playbook. The link will also be provided in the show notes below. See you guys next time.